0: Hello and welcome to the Quarantine Break Podcast. How are you doing? I hope you're all keeping well and safe. We have reached episode five and today we have the spectacular Tracy-Ann Oberman on the show. I've spent a large portion of lockdown with her, from her wonderful Auntie Val in Friday night dinner, to Rebecca in Afterlife, to Helen Chalmers in Code 404, She has been involved in some of the very best TV of the year and it just so happens it has all come at once. This is a really interesting conversation and it goes to some really fascinating places. She's such a warm and interesting person. I think you'll really, really like this episode. Take a listen and I'll be back at the end. Tracy Anne, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh yeah, well no, I know my busy social schedule. I've <laughs> had to cancel lunches and dinners. And yeah, <laughs> delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me.
0: Because we live in a working from home world now, they've decided to retarmac the street outside my house. So. If you hear anything loud and obnoxious throughout this conversation, only a fraction of it will be coming from me.
1: It's not them digging up the bodies in your backyard.
0: Hopefully not. Hopefully not. We've lived here a few years, so I'm really, really hoping it's not that.
1: That's good that they're assuming some work somewhere.
0: Yeah, exactly. I should be grateful for that. But at the moment, all I'm thinking will I suddenly hear builder noises throughout this? But hopefully we'll be fine.
1: I live for the day where I will hear builder noises. <laughs> Life outside these four walls would be amazing.
0: Uh, but how have you been keeping? Have you and your family been keeping well?
1: Yes. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a v- weird dystopian time. Um, my husband had a vague version of the COVID mm. where he lost his sense of taste and smell. Yeah. And my daughter had a really bad cold. Um, and then weirdly, we were offered by a friend this sort of the prick test where they put that they take some blood out of your finger. Yeah, yeah. So both he and my daughter tested for the antibodies, which meant that they had had COVID. But weirdly, I had tested negative. So it just goes to prove that you can live with two people with COVID and not get it so far. So... I don't know. That
0: is strange. My wife has also had it. And I've I've not had the test to see if I've had it. I think I was fine. But I have no idea. As you say, you can live with someone and still not get it. That's bizarre. Do
1: you have
0: low or high blood pressure? This is my new theory. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I assume I've I have high blood pressure just because I'm that um. kind of person. But
1: then you should technically be. Well, no, I just think, you know what's so frightening about this is that clearly nobody knows anything about anything. Yeah. So people are to everybody, even the science, is just fumbling around in the dark trying to find some answer. And I've spent my life reading dystopian novels and sci-fi. Mm. I've read every dystopian, contagion, sci-fi novel and film ever. It's been my obsession. So I should have been totally prepared for this moment. And even I was uh, shocked at my own sense of panic and
0: disbelief. Right at the start of this, I think it was ITV that was showing Pandemic again, because it's it's meant to be quite an accurate film, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, I haven't. Um, it, it is quite accurate, but I think the problem is... <laughs> I started watching it and then I thought, again, I thought I'm not going to watch it because there's an ending to that film and at the moment there is no ending in sight to this. Nobody knows how this is going to end. And when you're actually in the eye of a a kind of pandemic, global catastrophe storm, economically, health-wise and everything, it's the uncertainty that is, I think, the killer because we don't know you know, apart from economically the impact on the world I and mean, the sort of world we're going to go back to, it's just on a need to know basis, isn't it? Which they don't show you in yeah. books. When's Tom Cruise coming in? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and his mad, crazy run. I love that. I We, we, we need Tom, don't we?
1: A version of
0: Tom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a version of Tom.
0: For new listeners, the idea of this podcast is hopefully about taking a small tea break from the outside world. A world where I implore you all to ignore unverified sources of information such as Facebook or the President of the United States. But before we move on, it's a tea break. So, Tracy Ann, how do you take your tea?
1: Really strong, super strong. Sometimes two tea bags, like the strongest builder's tea you can imagine. There was a there's a poster knocking around, isn't there, of different colours of tea that you can get. So you can just say I'll have a number one or a number three. Well, mine was right up. I think it was a seven or an eight. No, probably an eight or a nine. Like super strong.
0: Do you leave the bag in?
1: Sometimes I leave two in.
0: Oh, so bad for your adrenals, I know. <laughs> you must be wired all the time.
1: Yeah, maybe that's why I'm an insomniac. <laughs> I haven't put it together. yet. no, I do. And I was told it's really bad to do that. But I really like it strong. And sometimes, you know, a, a Yorkshire tea bag doesn't get the strength that you want it to have.
0: It has been a mad old time for everyone at the moment. Each week I think feels a bit different. I feel different than how I was last week. How how have, how have you been dealing with lockdown?
1: Well, I mean, you know, this is this is a weird such a weird time because in in literally 24 hours everything changed. So I was I was about to head off. I had my whole year of work planned out with and sorted the family out i was on my way to manchester to start filming this big bbc one drama that was going straight into doing a a sky comedy then i was going to start on this big theater project the merchant of venice so my whole year had been mapped out and within that school holidays and family and kids and everything um And within 24 hours, everything just went, you know, it was the, and it it didn't just go so you could mourn it. It was just like, we're going to put it on hold until the foreseeable future. So just not knowing. And then, um, so that's been hard. My daughter's school shut. She was very upset she was the lead in the school play she had exams coming so you know that's all hard and um you know my husband runs this big kind of DJ music um production thing globally and they had to suddenly move I'm burbling on but you know life change in an instance yeah unfortunately I know a lot of people who have lost people nearly last week alone I had five six friends who lost a parent. Um, uh, is uh, friends who've lost siblings. So it's really real around here. We're right near the hospital and all you hear is hospitals, um, uh, ambulances, 24 hours a day. So it is really real. And uh, living in the heart of sort of North London, has su- it suddenly made me listen to friends of mine that have moved out That in the past. I thought, oh, who wouldn't want to live in London? And yeah. now I'm thinking, God, I wish I lived out in the country. That hasn't changed at all. <laughs> they having a lovely old time going for two-hour walks. So, yeah, it's it, it impacted, and it bit hard, and it's been... It's been a series of, you know, they say the five stages of grief is uh, sort of denial, uh, grief, anger, uh, all of it. Uh, And then finally acceptance. And I don't think I've got to acceptance yet, but I'm in some sort of level of
0: it. Definitely. I think at the moment I'm personally trying to find little moments of joy I think in in in, in the small things and actually I have to say you post a video of your dog Scruffy and Max waiting outside the butchers I think for the first time in 10 weeks it's yeah. had about 10,000 views 8,000 of them were likely me
1: I never even understand the news. All those dogs were so excited. Oh my god! <laughs> and the butchers is pretty empty, and they were just oh my, they were just so happy, and then got no <laughs> treats from the butcher, but they they loved it. I have to say though, I've used my time creatively. Very, um, it it's actually at the beginning, I had um, I had a sort of fear of fuck. What happens now? Yeah. And then I went into oh, I I get to do all the things that I've never had time to do. And so we all spent loads of time together, me, the family, the dogs, the daughter. We were all like, oh, we like each other so much. This is great. <laughs> then I started cooking, like proper cooking. It was like, oh, I can feed my family as well. I can go back on MasterChef. I might, oh, wow, this is great. Um, I was getting um, John Road and Lisa to send over their daily recipes that they've got on Instagram. Amazing. I really was acing it. I was cleaning. I had turned into the domestic goddess. And then after like two weeks, that it was my daughter was like leave me alone and locked herself in the room (laughs) husband locked himself where he's working kind of lost the art of cooking so then i moved on to i I, i've been writing a radio i had a commission from radio four to write a radio play so i wrote that i've done the second draft of that i'm doing some filming with this dumb breeding thing yeah yeah um i've finally understood instagram and the point of it it's all good
0: ish It's strange because I think as well, I'm getting a new level of FOMO at the moment. Are you? Well, in in, in the past, it would always be I'd I'd go on social media and I'd see people in the pub or nights out that I wasn't on. And I'd be like, oh, I want to be doing that. Now I'm seeing, you know, people streaming the National Theatre or learning how to make pasta or, um, you know, having drinks on Zoom. I'm always getting a new level of FOMO now.
1: Yeah, well, that I early doors, I, um, I tweeted about this, or I, I did a little video because I was getting yeah, a yeah. lot of people saying, to, you know, sort of saying, oh, my mental health and I'm finding it very stressful. And I put out a thing around the time when I was doing nothing that said, we have one job here, and that is stay alive. You know, you don't have to pressurise yourself. This time is not about learning a new language, learning how to cook, doing anything. All you have to do is take it one day at a time and stay alive and don't put yourself under any pressure to compare yourself to anybody who's doing amazing things. We do it in our own way. Having said all that, I, I, I just ended up doing everything, <laughs> but, but I did have a few weeks, but because I wanted to, and yeah, I've, never, yeah. I've never had less of a FOMO because I think nobody can go anywhere. Nobody can do anything really. Everything is about us all just surviving and we're all in it together. So don't have FOMO. There's nothing to FOMO about. (laughs) You're doing a podcast. I FOMO you.
0: The one thing I have not given a go because I just cannot do it is TikTok. I downloaded it. I was on there for five minutes and just deleted it. I'm quite happy for the Judy Dench ones just to filter onto Twitter. And that's how I'll see them.
1: I don't even, my daughter is doing her TikTok master's degree. I mean, she's really, you know, that's all the 13-year-olds are doing now. She might even get a PhD or a doctorate in TikTok. That's what <laughs> I, mean, I can't even understand it. She made me do a dance after Friday night dinner went out the other day. At <laughs> I, I don't get it. But the ones I do like that I've seen are the drunk Trumps. There's yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're amazing. Up. Yeah, brilliant, you know, <laughs> using his actual, have you seen the one in the club?
0: Yes, that's been so good. It's the medicine one, you know, This the
1: germ, and it ends, it's so good.
0: That's why I'm quite happy for them just to filter onto other social media platforms. I'll pick it up from there.
1: We don't need to do it. It's for the young people <laughs> and the old
0: people. But it's interesting what you say about creativity. A lot of the people I've spoken to on the podcast, uh, Sarah Phelps, Robert Webb, these, these are creative people, and they they are finding it tough. And yet we've seen... Lockdown versions of Parks and Rec. Staff Let's Flats is doing a short. Your dear Matt Berry is doing some lovely Toast of London shorts.
1: Well, that's the thing with Matt. My uh, um, Thank God for Matt, because very right at the beginning, Matt said to me, buy yourself a mic and set up a home studio. Mm. Uh, and I said, oh, Matt, I'm so untechnical. And he went, I'll talk you through it. So between him and my husband, we got all the stuff that I needed. And thank God I did, because he was the first one that said, right, we're going to do these Mrs. Purchase um, Toast pods. Uh, <laughs> Which are which are very funny. Yeah, these yeah. and then because of him, I've been able to do documentaries. I've been able to do voiceovers. If you need me, contact me at Calypso Voices. Um, <laughs> so that's been very good, and uh, and he's he really helped on that. But yeah, Matt's been brilliant at those. People love his uh, his Toast of London stuff. That's
0: so good. But you were actually amongst the first wave of creativity during lockdown with Dumb Breeding. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that came to life?
1: Yeah, that was incredible because Julie had written this very um, funny comedy about five lifelong friends who were now in their forties and fifties, and you know their kids had grown up. They'd been through births, deaths, and marriages together, uh, body changes together, all of it. And I think it was uh, in with a with a big production company, and. In the end, it was I got the scripts and she said we're going to try and shoot this in lockdown and be at the cutting edge of that. But it's not about lockdown. So they did. I, I, the scripts were fantastic. The characters were fantastic. Uh, I said yes, not totally understanding how we were going to do it, but they delivered these cameras and lights. I mean, you can see in my room there were sort of well, you can't, but there are lights and sound things everywhere.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And then we we now film. These weekly episodes, there's 12, 10-minute episodes coming out. We film them in our own houses um, with the people around, whoever's around to help. Mainly I'm doing it on my own. I feel like Orson Welles. (laughs) And then we upload it. It all gets edited and graded, and and it's going out. And how, for me, the thrill of that is that... You no, this is not an industry known for its kindness towards women after the age of sort of 30, 35. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the most sexiest, most amazing women I know, gorgeous, are getting scripts for the parts of grandmothers, <laughs> opposite men who are five years younger than them. So here was a, here was a real cutting-edge script with five sexy, f- happening, exciting, vibrant women all leading this show who were at the cutting edge of technology of getting it out there about a demographic that normally wouldn't get seen.
0: Yeah, and it must be very liberating as well. Because TV projects aren't quick affairs, are they? And to shoot something and put it out there immediately it must be quite thrilling.
1: What's so nice is it it's, um, it's really look, people are desperate for new content. It's really captured the imagination. She's got an incredible team on it. You know, there's Hamza Northway, Angela Griffin, Julie mm. Graham's written it and stars in it, Denise Welsh, um, Alison Newman. There's some really great people attached. And it's it's sort of captured the imagination. So I think people are excited to see something that is upbeat that's funny that's about women is shows their lives written by a woman yeah it's it feels very exciting to be at the first wave of that
0: and what's it like as an actor to take on this new challenge is it very different from previous stuff that you've done
1: well the last thing i i you know i was laughing because um code 404 is going out at the moment and i'm yeah, in that we're sort of doing some publicity for that and i was watching a bit of it with Stephen and Danny, uh, who are uh, Stephen Graham and Danny Mays, are in it. They're brilliant, and I was think laughing about the comparison of the days of being on that with all the high tech wizardry, <laughs> green screens, and uh, you know the, the all the hundred and twenty whatever crew to suddenly being in my room, having to light myself and d- direct myself and work out my shots and. It made me have a complete respect for every single person, mm. not least the person that makes the sandwiches and the tea. Yeah, I, didn't right. even get my, I didn't even get my own lunch break, but I, <laughs> I, I, um, I'm learning a lot of new skills.
0: As we're talking about what we've been watching, it seems a good time to talk t- about what you've been watching recently.
1: Oh, God, what haven't I been watching? Oh, so I've just done the whole of Taboo. Oh, loved it. I missed it the first time around, but I remember Stephen talking about it. I think he would he was talking about it, and a lot of the crew who'd been on Taboo were on Code 404, and they were saying, you'd love it. I loved it. Absolutely loved it.
0: It sort of slipped under the radar, I think, first time around, certainly for a lot of people. I don't think it got massive views, but it's such a good show. It's really, really good.
1: Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I mean, God, what a privilege to see Tom Hardy on screen. Mm. And that cast... It was mind blowing. Everybody was just stupendous, and the whole, the accuracy, the Dickensian vibe. The I can't speak highly enough about it. Um, and then I was very disappointed because I love, uh, I love Alex Garland, and I love sci-fi, and I love all of that AI stuff. And so I did devs, and um, I found that really hard going.
0: See, I, 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 I was mildly obsessed with devs. I, it was one of those shows that. I, I could watch one episode but then I would need a week off just to think about it.
1: We were doing two at a time and I loved I love the time I loved the fact that Garland Alex Garland felt that he wanted those hours to use yeah,
0: yeah.
1: to be able to spread out and it looked it was it was I found it challenging and I was annoyed at myself that I found it challenging and I was surprised <laughs> that I found it challenging but I really found it challenging.
0: And I saw that you like the rest of the world have been watching Tiger King
1: yeah, very upsetting.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it?
1: And more upsetting than the series is the kind of affection that people have for those awful fucking men. Yeah, you know, oh, all these sort of like he's such a. He, that was a dark program. That was a, that was as darker documentary for me as capturing the Freemans. Mm. It was dark. I mean, this is the these were like the lowest edge of humanity. Basically abusing animals in order to groom, sexually groom young people, bring them in, ply them up with drugs, and control them, and then oh, it was just horrible, horrible, and yet fascinating. And so now
0: Nicholas Cage, I think, is going to play Joe Exotic, which is going to quite strange.
1: I, I mean, you know, just do the. Uh, to me, is just do the Fred and Rosemary West, you know, with Julia Roberts. I mean, why, why, why would you have to dramatise a story that was already? so dramatic and odd and weird now i i know i i don't i get the tiger king horror and jaw drop i don't get the love yeah i don't these are not fun characters This oh, is not yeah. a funny show it's a really dark show about horrible horrible people
0: and i think uh i saw that you also blitzed through the nest as well which was also absolutely wonderful yeah
1: loved it really loved. well he's just amazing yeah Uh, And um, I thought the writing of that was really great. That was a nice, slow build. Yeah, yeah. And I like um, dramas that will take their time and and really like proper grown-up, intelligent stories. It was good, really good. And what else have I been watching? Well, everything I've been in which seems to be lots at the moment. So I, did, I did Afterlife, which I loved, and I, I've loved Code 4. I really enjoyed watching Code 404. This series of Friday Night Dinner was fun.
0: Have you been uh, dipping into any of the Doctor Who watch-alongs? That's been a lot of fun. Uh, they've been organised by Doctor Who magazine's Emily Cook.
1: Oh, yeah, I took part in one with Russell rang me and said yeah. would I do a little video as Yvonne Hartman. Amazing. I kept all the old costumes and necklaces and my even my Yvonne Hartman Badge Amazing. from those episodes. So I dressed up as Yvonne and said a thank you. And um so I have, I saw that one and I haven't had a chance to dip into the others, but I will.
0: I honestly think your line about doing your duty for Queen and Country should be the official slogan for lockdown.
1: Oh my God. If Yvonne, often I say to Russell, if Yvonne had been in charge of <laughs> all of this, none of this shit show would have happened from Brexit onwards. I mean, she should have just been running it all. <laughs> she's the she is the prime minister president we needed
0: at this time and what about relaxing during these times i keep asking people about meditation apps but no no, no, nobody is using them at the moment well
1: no (laughs) i mean no
0: anything like joe wick's pe or any of the that sort of stuff no (laughs)
1: Uh, we. My husband has has um has got a Peloton. We got a Peloton early because we both got very bad backs. And so we've been paying off a Peloton sort of monthly. And uh, that's been good. So we've been Pelotoning. And also we have a doggy. So we were allowed out. So we used to walk the dog, you know, walk the dog every day near here in the park. Uh, so that's been nice. That's been my meditation. And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, which I've never had a chance to do before. Yeah. Because you can cook and listen or walk and listen. I think that is, I found them, I found the podcast love uh, a real, su- really surprising because I think I've never really had the time to do them.
0: I often use this part of the podcast to talk about a guest show that has just been on TV or a book that's just been released. But I don't know where to start with you. You've just appeared in three of the biggest shows of the year Afterlife, Friday Night Dinner. And Code Four Oh Four. I mean, what what an incredible time!
1: (laughs) It's so weird, you know. You film all these things spread out, and then um, and then they all came came come out at once, uh, which is is very odd. And I I know I keep getting messages from people going. I mean, you know, I'm not because it just and they're so different. So people going, are you in everything? Are you in every moment? You know, so yeah, it's been good. Very lucky that they all came out at the same time because people have had to watch them because they've had nowhere to go.
0: I mean, we'll start with Friday Night Dinner because the the reception to this series has been incredible, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, so f- six series, and it. I think when it went on Netflix, it really started to impact. I think it was a bit of a kind of hidden gem. of uh, It was mm. it was very highly rated. Um, on four, but it, it didn't make the impact like it did on Netflix. And then this last series has just gone, it's become like, yeah, cult, sort of a cult level of adoration for
0: it. Yeah, and record ratings. It's just done so incredibly well. And the reviews have been just off, off the chart. I mean, it's such a wonderful series. It must be such a joy to return to a character like Auntie Vale. She's, I guess, unique is how we would call her.
1: So, you know, it's so funny because Auntie Val came in in that first series just for the one episode, The Dress, and then um, Robert loved her and then he bought her back and he's bought her back. And she's become like a real, like, little... You know, if you've got this incredible um, ingredients and recipe, she's like the little flavouring that comes in <laughs> a few times during the series, but people just love her. and She's, she's like that, you know, your auntie that's just over the top and, just, <laughs> yeah, in that world of Friday Night Dinner, I think she adds a level of of hysteria that is very is is just it just people seem to love her I like it. and what's nice about that series is we've been doing it for such a long time uh, that when you come back into the into the house it is like slipping on a very well-worn coat and they those actors are at the top of their game so yeah, it's yeah.
0: beautiful I do a bit of research as as, as you'd expect before these conversations <laughs> uh and it led me to this story on the sun and it started with this first paragraph and I don't know why but it made me laugh a lot Friday night dinner as Auntie Val has reflected on the time she got stuck in a cage and the steamy plots involving Colin the sex robot. Firstly, it sounds like Auntie Val is a real person, and they've mistaked it for a documentary. If you'd never seen the show, you would you would come in expecting a very different program.
1: It's a very, very indicative sign of the times that I wouldn't normally be somebody that the sun would pick up on uh,
0: for a story.
1: So, either there is a very slow news day, some, well, I guess there's a very slow entertainment news day, so any content is worth filling. And also that um, there's the sun skewering of that particular storyline into making it into a steamy and salacious little, yeah, very funny.
0: Uh, I mean, what 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 an episode that was that 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 must have been a, a, a joy to to film it really was
1: and you know very sadly my beloved stepdad. I mean this is a bit sad but I, I, it was a difficult time because my I'd just come out of this play very long I think I was still doing this really full on play and my stepdad was dying and I didn't know when it was going to so say that it was like that mixture of sort of heightened comedy and lit, expecting the call any minute so everybody was very sweet on set but it was a, it was a difficult it was a difficult shoot because yeah, I didn't yeah. know I had to run off but we actually got through that episode which was pretty amazing, and then uh, I and you know, just the filling up um, Martin's bowl, Paul's bowl, with that rice pudding and Jim, and yeah, it was and the and the it was all just hysterical, you know, having Paul Ritter smashing the top of that cage with no top on, and then getting the score out. Uh, I've never laughed so much. Yeah, it was it was amazing.
0: When 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 you got the script for that episode and, and it, I, I whether the stage direction just said Auntie Val gets into cage. Well, I mean, does does that translate on paper or, or is that something you have to see on the day?
1: Well, <laughs> Robert rung me and just and said I'm writing this episode that is going to be set around Auntie Val and I just want to say uh, one word. And so he said I'm going to give you one sentence that will sum it up. I'm in a cage. <laughs> I'm in a cage. And I just, I wet myself and I said, just don't tell me anymore, let me read the script. And it was, uh, and this, it didn't, yeah. I'm in a cage. It was, yeah, it translated. Because that's the thing, it doesn't matter how ridiculous, that, you know, really good sitcoms are all character-driven. So you buy into those characters. You believe, you know, you believe anything anything in the world, in their world that happens, you buy into, because you believe the characters, you believe mm. the world they've set up. So in a normal family, that would be ridiculous. But in the Goodman family, <laughs> it kind of works. <laughs>
0: How 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 do you think the Goodmans would be uh, would be dealing with lockdown?
1: Oh my God, Martin <laughs> would be six feet under. I would imagine. <laughs> I I don't know. Terrible, terrible.
0: I like to think that Adam and Johnny would have been forced to move in for the duration.
1: Definitely, a hundred percent. The Bambinos would be there with their mum and dad. I would have thought Jim would have managed to finagle his way into the house as well. So <laughs> yeah. they was have all been in there with milson and the puppies
0: (laughs) they'd be working from home they'd be slowly being driven insane
1: they'd eat well though (laughs) actually maybe val would have had to move in with them as well because obviously she's now she's not with larry anymore oh my god can you imagine they'd all be in the house
0: (laughs) i mean robert if you are if you are listening series seven ideas already i mean nothing is certain at the moment but do you think friday night dinner will return
1: All I know is Robert is brilliant. I mean, to write six series worth of episodes on your own, never to have farmed them out to anybody. Mm. He's such an auteur. I don't know. I mean, you know what? I watched that last episode and a little tear came to the eye. and It was like, oh wonder what will happen and then I got so many messages on socials and from you know texts everything from people who were devastated proper crying devastated like they'd lost a family that they loved I don't know I'd like to think it might go again but I can't say I mean Robert has specifically said nobody's to comment on it because nobody knows so there we go Never say never, I always say.
0: And from crying at that that final episode of Friday Night Dinner, Afterlife then, I mean, Tracy ann why would Ricky release something like that into the world at the moment? If I'm looking pale and pasty at the moment, it's because I'm cried out at the moment, fruit fault of shows that you've been in.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, oh, Ricky's, uh, Ricky's baby is, has really affected people. I, I, that first series was 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 extraordinary Mm. because I don't think people knew that Ricky could do that I mean it just broke your heart it was my mum who as I said who's who's recently been widowed and and has lost a lot of friends through Covid rang me the other day and said I've just she didn't even know I was in it but she said I've been watching this Ricky Gervais show called Afterlife and it's so brilliant he's she said has he lost somebody I said I not did he lose his wife I said I don't I don't no, I know he hasn't. He's still with Jane. She said, but it's so truthful and honest. And it's the first time I've had a really good cry and laugh and feel like I managed to release something. And I I think Ricky's just tapped into something really quite incredible here.
0: Would you agree? Yeah, it's such a beautifully made programme. I mean, it does tap into, I think, a level of grief that you don't really see so much on TV. It's either so over the top or ridiculous. It's just got so many levels of nuance and it's just a really really beautifully made program.
1: Yeah, he's he's taken the time to show a man who really is grieving. And I I mean I'm you know I don't want to speak out of turn but you know Ricky and his partner Jane have been together in, uh, for a long long time and she's she's just the most wonderful woman and I remember going to the screening of the first series and I said to her wow this is I pres- for me, this is a love letter to you. And that makes me cry even more because it's like when you've when you you've been with somebody for so long and you've loved them for so long uh, uh, and their relationship is very strong, I suppose that when you've met your soulmate, the thought of losing them, how do you continue? But the thing also about Ricky is that the, the comedy is so brutal as well yeah. and it walks that line between tragedy and comedy. You know, it, it sort of punches you in the stomach one minute and then punches you with a really dark humor. <laughs>
0: You made such a memorable appearance as well in that first series, of that incredible date.
1: I was so tough. I mean, I got this script. I didn't even... I just said... I got this message saying, you know, Ricky would like you to play this part. Didn't know anything about the series. Read the scene, thought it was funny. Didn't even understand the series. Never got the full scripts. Did that. We had a lovely day up in Hampstead filming. It was the first day of the first series on the shoot. So he Ricky was... You know, it it was brilliant. We'd had a lovely day. La-la, bye-bye. Never thought any more about it. Then I got invited to the screening, and I was like, wow, Ricky, this is amazing. Never thought any more about it. Then the series went out, and people loved it. Then the scene appeared, and I got so much feedback from (laughs) this one scene. It was just unbelievable. People were saying, oh, it was so funny. And, And then really sweetly, Ricky kind of got me back in. For the next series, yeah. but we filmed a lot more. We filmed like four days, but because the episodes are only 20 minutes long, he had to cut a lot out. But I was very honored to be in it.
0: I mean, considering how how poorly that first date went, we, we, it must have been a surprise that you're in series two.
1: I think we were talk I think we, we thought it would be nice to redeem that character, <laughs> Rebecca, just to sort of show her that she wasn't that bad and that it gave him a chance to sort of forgive her. And it it sort of showed him that even the most ghastly people had their own stories in life. I don't know, but it was I was just really blessed to be asked
0: And moving on to code 404, which again is is a very different gear shift. But it's so much fun. I I've, I, I, was, I was watching the blooper reel last night and it looks like you guys never stopped laughing on set.
1: That was a, a, a joy. I mean, imagine Stephen Graham, fresh off The Irishman and everything else, who I've long admired, and Danny Mays, who, again, I think they're like two of our finest, on this show that was this... This ridiculous comedy about a cop who's brought back from the dead, like a crap robocop, um, but played with all the seriousness of a sort of line of duty, but with this very broad comedy as well. It was it was it was incredible. I mean, proper funny because the straighter you play things, the funnier they are. And Steve and, and Danny, I had all my scenes with them. And again, I was in very early on. Normally when you're in early on in a shoot, you get the best of people because they're not tackled and tired. But we, yeah, didn't stop laughing. It was hysterical.
0: As you say, I think that is one of the key keys to its success. It is played so straight. It's like, it's like Naked Gun when everything is so straight. No one's like glancing at the camera or giving that wink. It's, it's a cop drama, but it's still very funny.
1: Yeah, and it's a really good, even if you just took it as a thriller, it's a good cop thriller, but then you've got this really funny, physical comedy. I've, I've never seen anything that walks the fine line between drama and comedy so lightly as that, and, and the, the element of Stephen and Danny is, is, it just gives it something that takes it to another level, I think.
0: And I, I, I genuinely, ne- I mean, I've, I, I know Stephen can do comedy, but I've, I was genuinely shocked of his lightness of touch as well in, in that series
1: yeah i mean incredible i used to i used to say to the the producers and the directors that it was like watching a masterclass because they're they're properly brilliant actors i mean they are really i'm really like can't speak they are proper properly brilliant actors so i would watch them in anything and then to be on a set with them and watch them do that gear shift and i know that Stephen was quite like early on was sort of like I, I don't do comedy you know i don't know how i feel about this, but, It was just, it just worked. You know, this is a guy from Taboo and and, and the Irish, you know, everything we've seen him in. um, And the two of them from Line of Duty. And then to be in this, there was just an added
0: piquancy to the humour. And one future project i i need to speak about before i let you go the boys from russell t davis i saw a clip at channel four event and it looks incredible can you tell us anything about it
1: that series is
0: i think it's
1: you know, if, if Schindler's List was uh, was Spielberg's sort of reason to be put on this earth, this, this I, you know, I love Russell's writing, but this is something else. This was ripped out of his heart. This is is the most beautiful storytelling about a really horrendous and, and I think sometimes forgotten period of, of what it was like to have AIDS during the eighties and nineties, it's heartbreaking and funny and brilliant and all the signature things we know of Russell. But but it's it's something else. I can't even put it into words. It's it, the scripts are unbelievable.
0: I think every time Russell has done interviews over the years, he's always talked about a a, a series that he wanted to write one day, and it, it feels very much like it, it, this was that series.
1: A hundred percent. This this was uh, this is his. I think this is his, he's had many fine moments, but I think this is his legacy to leave that story. Because as he said, so many young men and women, but mainly young men died of this plague um, that nobody understood, that nobody was that interested in, that there was so much misinformation and they were very cruel deaths. And these were all people that he knew, you know, this was his life. You know, you came, you came down to London, you were young, you were out, you were suddenly having a life that was so exciting. And then, you were treated like a pariah. And it was very cruel. And, the, and because people were so frightened of it and didn't understand it, um, you know, I personally, I had a lot... I, I had a friend who um, was gay and had come out. And I remember him, around the time of AIDS, had gone to stay with another friend's family. And when he left, the parents burnt the sheets, buried the crockery. I mean, you, you know, people were treated like absolute pariahs and their deaths were often horrible. And their parents saw something that was terrible. And as as Russell said, those parents are dying off and then and people forget what it was like to be gay, what it was like to be gay during a terrifying time with HIV and how horrible people could be about it. It's a bit heavy for a coffee break, isn't it?
0: It's. I mean, it sounds amazing. It's going to be an incredible drama. I know it was filming, still filming earlier this year. Was was all the filming completed before everything shut down?
1: Yeah. No. He, they got that in definitely. So we. They. They. That was quite a long shoot. I think it was a three-month shoot. And I mean, I, I'm just again. I just.
0: You know, I'm just in. A, a, I mean,
1: three or four of the episodes. But it, it, that core cast are incredible because it's about a group of friends that live in in this. The, the Pink Palace and uh, and Ollie from Years and Years is yeah. head- wow.
0: I mean, wow. That's his first acting role as well, I think.
1: I know, really. I worked with him when he was a child. He reminded me we did a film together called Summerhill about a school called Summerhill that was. And um, I've forgotten and i when it all came back to me, this very <laughs> charismatic sort of young uh, young boy. You know, was we 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 did this weird moment when we were all in the woods together, and I was playing like Captain Hook because it was like a flashback where the barrister who was trying to shut the school down was all based on a true story about Ofsted. So I think he has done bits and pieces, but his work as a musician and those videos, the, uh, the music, he's incredible, such a talent.
0: Tracy ann thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for interviewing me.
0: Well, that sounds incredible, doesn't it? I'm so excited about that one, and I cannot wait that is coming to Channel Four at some point later this year. Thank you to Tracy Anne for joining me on the podcast today. I think a lot of what Paul Chahidi spoke about in last week's episode really connected with you at home, and I think Tracy Anne continues that conversation so well. Thank you for being so open and honest about the issues we're all facing at the moment. If you enjoyed this podcast, please continue to rate and review us on your pod provider of choice, and please subscribe. We hit the top 100 on Apple Podcasts for TV and film last week and I greedily have my eyes on the top 50 now. That's it for another episode. I'll be back very, very soon. But in the meantime, please stay indoors. Planning for your next trip?